Well, hey, as you make your way back to your seat, grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. Welcome again to Javel Prez. Uh, if you're just new or visiting, we're going through a series right now in the Sermon on the Mount called Virtue and Vice. If you can, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're able, open up to Matthew chapter 6. I promise you our time is going to be more enjoyable if you have a Bible out uh, in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles. They're all throughout the room. Turn to page 964. Grab a blue Bible or open up yours. If you don't have a Bible, take one of these blue Bibles home with you as our gift. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. If you're uh, just joining us, we're going through a short seven-week series through uh, vice and virtue in the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about pride and humility. Last week, we talked about anger and meekness. And today, we're going to be talking about greed and generosity. So with that in mind, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go through uh, verses 19 through 24, and then we're going to look at another section in Matthew chapter 6. So with that in mind, friend, hear the words of Jesus Christ. This is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, page 964 in those blue Bibles. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Then look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 through 4. Same page. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray now. The Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us spiritual ears to hear the voice of Jesus. And Lord, that you would give us hearts of generosity. And Lord, that you would scoop out the greed from inside our souls and replace it with the generosity of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. So what berry is ideally black? It's a big black berry. Uh, you want it real bumpy. Uh, and then here's the key. You want the more warts, the better. It's also about the size of a small fist. So, you know, maybe if you're a teenager or a kid in the room, maybe about the size of your fist. What is the, what's the berry I'm talking about? Anybody know? It's an avocado. Yeah, an avocado. It's probably my favorite fruit of all time. And it turns out the appetite for this berry, an avocado, is nearly insatiable. I mean, let's be honest. Who here loves avocados? That's like everybody. It's a, it's a silly question because everybody likes avocados. We all do. You know how I know we all like avocados? 
because I learned what the Mexican avocado industry is worth per year. The Michoacan region of Mexico, where this beautiful, delicious avocado that I can't eat, wait to eat one day, came from Michoacan. Michoacan sends every year $2.8 billion of avocados to our country each year. Two, I didn't say million, $2.8 billion of avocados. <laughs> but, you know, excuse my language, but holy guacamole. <laughs> That's a lot of avocados, y'all. Avocados are incredibly productive. Uh, you might even call them a generous tree because unlike the pineapple, which only ever produces one pineapple and then the, the mother root is gone, an avocado tree can produce 300 avocados every year. We put it on our salads, we put it on our toast, we put it in guacamole. It has tons of health benefits. I mean, if you work in the medical industry, you'll know all of the health benefits of avocados. They're good for your heart. Um, Here's the thing, though. There's a lot to love about a wart black little berry, a wart-filled blackberry, right? Would you ever kill somebody because of an avocado? I know that sounds absurd, but did you know that dozens of people have died in Michoacan over the last couple of years? You know why? You know why. It's about money. Because whenever there's a beautiful, productive, generous, good tree bearing good fruit, right at harvest time, greed shows up with its ugly head and its teeth full of blood. Why would somebody die because of avocados? Well, last February, NPR reported that the U.S. temporarily banned avocados from Michoacan because a USDA inspector was threatened by members of a cartel. And it turns out that the farmers in Michoacan have now been, uh, you know, influenced and uh, oppressed by cartels. And that, in fact, was what the NPR article was all about, how greed has caught up to the avocado industry. Uh, friends, for the next several weeks as we go through this Lent series on vice and virtue, uh, what I want to suggest to you sounds wild, but I think if you were to look inward, you would find that actually it may be true, which is the seven deadly sins that oppress us, lust, gluttony, anger, pride, right? All of those things, greed. Those are not just things other people deal with. It's not just because people live south of the border that they deal with greed and we are immune if you listen to the teachings of Jesus, we'll realize that actually sin goes right to the core of who we are. In fact, the Bible's full. It's replete of warnings against the dangers of greed. But man, is there ever a sin that is hard to see in yourself, but it's easy to see in other people? Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. He says, do not be deceived. At the end of the days, people will be lovers of self and what? Anybody know? Lovers of money. What does Jesus tell us about the danger of greed? Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't serve two masters. What does that mean? Jesus makes it so clear. You cannot serve God and money. Greed is an inordinate desire for money and the things that we think it can give us. But as you study greed in the Bible, you may recognize that actually greed was one of the things that marked the Pharisees. 
You know, Jesus' main opponents were marked by greed. And after all, what was the precipitating thing that led to Jesus' own crucifixion? Who betrayed him? You don't have to grow up in the church to know the answer. Who betrayed Jesus with a kiss? It was Judas, and why did he do it? For 30 pieces of silver. In fact, Jesus tells them on the night when he was betrayed after he took communion for the first time, he says, go do what you came to do. And the other disciples, because Judas carried the money bag, thought that Jesus was just telling Judas to go give to the needy. But what was Judas doing? Was he embracing generosity to the needy? Or had greed killed his faith? Greed is not just something out there. I love what Jared Wilson, he's a professor now of a seminary, he says these are not the seven deadly sins, they're the seven daily sins. Because daily we are influenced and we're tempted by them. And and if you've been here, I've been suggesting to you that Lent is really that opportunity to do our spiritual audit, right? To look inside ourselves and say, is there evidence, right? Uh, Last week I talked about citrus greening. Is there evidence that the fruit is going rotten in our lives? Well, how do you and I know if we struggle with greed? Uh, Well, Rebecca DeYoung is a professor at Calvin University. She's written a great academic book called Glittering Vices, And she says the way that you can look inside and say, am I struggling with greed or not? Uh, You don't compare yourself to other people and how they spend money. The easiest way is to look at yourself and do a simple exercise. She says, go open up your bank account and scroll past the last 60 days. And then just say, if somebody looked at your bank account and what you've spent money on, what would they learn about your character? What could someone who doesn't know you, but look at how you spend money, how could they come up with what you're like? Here's another way, you know, really what she's doing. Some of you may actually know. She's actually just riffing off of an old Billy Graham saying. Remember Billy Graham? He said it this way. Billy Graham famously shunned, you know, riches. He said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I will tell you where their treasure is. Let me pause. Some of you don't know what a checkbook is, okay? (laughs) A checkbook is a print version of your bank account that you can now find on your app from your bank. This is, a big, this is a big intellectual leap that I need you to take. The reason we're talking about vices and virtues is because, uh, one, they show up in the Sermon on the Mount, but two, because to rightly identify the vice and the corresponding virtue, you've got to see that these things are exponential, right? So when you think about an avocado tree, it doesn't just produce one fruit. It produces 300. So if you have a good avocado tree, you have 300-fold avocados every year. Well, virtues and vices work the same way. Vices are specific kinds of sins that lead to more and more sin. They reproduce, right? That's how we talk about vices and virtues. Uh, And this is not just, you know, some philosophical idea. This is actually what Scripture teaches. If you were to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is page 1180, Listen to how Paul's going to talk about greed. It's a root that produces all kinds of things. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I mean, how much more dire can Paul put it? If Paul was trying to warn you of the danger of greed, what other language could he say than what he just said? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into a vice, 
you might say, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money, greed, is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Think Judas. And they have pierced themselves with many pangs. Today, as we look at greed and we look at generosity, uh, I'm going to make a suggestion to you that uh, if you're not a Christian, it may sound kind of strange. Uh, But I think if you actually listen to me, I think you can maybe see what Jesus is going to teach us about greed and generosity. And it may not be what you think. Uh, I have a three-part outline. I don't want to scare anybody. But I do have a three-part outline. And I think you can write this down if you would like. Uh, You may could just remember it. But this is the three movements we're going to make. I want you to see from greed, through the gospel, to generosity. And it's that middle step that everything hangs on, from greed through the gospel to generosity. So let's talk about greed for just a second. Here's the bad news about greed. It can start at any age, and it does not go away without a fight. (laughs) You can call greed avarice, which is a more technical term for the love of money. But the warnings in Scripture about greed are just manifold. Uh, Paul says to the elders of a church, You know, so if you're an elder in the room, listen up. Paul says an elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy, but instead hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Writing to 1 Timothy, or into Timothy, uh, Paul says this about deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. I mean, if you were to sit back and reflect on the damage that greed has done in your life, uh, everyone here can think of a messy inheritance, messy family situations, right? Over money and things. We've all got scars to show. And this is something I learned really early on as a pastor, which is whenever money is involved, things get weird, y'all. They get weird in the church when money is involved. They get weird in companies. They get weird when there's transitions. And they get weird in family. And things are not always pretty. You know it to be true. Greed lurks not just in the hills of Michoacan, Mexico. Greed lurks in every one of our hearts. Some of you may be thinking, I don't have enough money, though, to be greedy, Dustin. That's for rich people. That's not for me. Well... The way Jesus teaches about sin and righteousness is so interesting because he can say things like, you can still struggle with lust even if you never commit adultery because lust begins where? In your heart. Even if you and I never give over to greed, guess what? Greed's still there. And what if the solution isn't just stop? (laughs) What if the gospel actually gives you something completely different? You know, so if you're wondering, how, how do I know if I struggle with greed? You know, I don't have enough money to struggle with greed. I don't think I'd struggle with this. Well, uh, I love what Tim Keller says about greed in his book, Counterfeit Gods. I, I really appreciate Pastor Keller. Uh, he, he preaches in Manhattan. So he's sur- just surrounded by an ungodly amount of money that we can't even fathom how much money is in Manhattan, right? And so he's, he's just inundated with people who have more money than they know what to do with. 
And the way that Keller talks to his church about it is he says, here's how you know, here's how you can start to identify greed in your heart. And it's a simple exercise. What do you daydream about? What do you hope to have? What is like the one thing that you think if you can get, then everything will be okay. Once I get the vacation home, or once we get this amount in the money bank, then we can do this. Once we get that one car, then we'll be okay. Now, I'm not saying every hope and dream is wrong, but that could start to show you how greed is tempting you. And here's the thing you've got to hear me on. Greed is an idol, and every idol overpromises and under-delivers. It's like a can of Coke. Have you ever had Coke? It's from my part of the world. It's from the South. It's wonderful the first time you sip it. By the end of the can of Coke, it's literally, it's literally nothing but sugar. And you're like, I don't know why I just did that. The first sip is great. By the time you get to the end, this isn't so great. You know why? Because Coke overpromises and underdelivers just like every idol. So if you've got some you know, goal in mind, just keep that in mind. It's probably over-promising what it can give you, and it's going to under-deliver. Jesus puts it this way. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Don't dream for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. You know why? Because Jesus says we live in a world where moth and rust destroy and where your grandkids may not want all of your things. And that spoke to somebody. <laughs> no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot live for God and try to live for money. So how do we solve the problem of greed? How do we solve that? We all, we all agree greed is bad. We can, I mean, who's going to argue against that? We all know that Greece, how do you, how do you solve this? Uh, you know, some of you are still worried about the avocado farmers. <laughs> and you're like, what do we do about the avocado farmers? How do we respond? It's interesting, you know, Scott Simon of NPR is, you know, talking to Emily Green, this reporter talking about the avocado farmers and the cartels that are killing people and browbeating and oppressing the farmers. And he has this question, and guess what his, his first question is? How do you solve the problem? What does he say? Does that mean we should stop doing what? Buying avocados? You know, because culturally, we only have one solution to every problem. It's to cancel something. He's like, so should we cancel avocados? Emily Green, the reporter living in Mexico, she actually says, no, that actually maybe isn't the solution. And she, you know what her reasoning is? She's a writer for Vice, and she says, well, if everyone stopped buying avocados from these people, the farmers themselves are going to suffer, and they're not going to have good-paying jobs, and they may try to come up to the border and make the, crisis, the border crisis even worse. And so Scott Simon's like, okay, well, what is the solution? And she can't offer a solution. How do you solve the problem of sin when greed is not just a thing we do, it's something in our hearts? Friends, this is the great move of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a great thought process that changed the world and is changing the world. And that is you and I, we don't just need behavior modification. You don't just need 10 more life hacks. What Jesus Christ has the audacity to say is you need to be reborn from the inside. You need to be a completely different person. You need to start over from scratch. 
This is how the gospel changes people from greed to generosity. It's through the gospel. It's through the good news. And this is the good news, that God so loved the world that he did what? Uh, it's John 3.16, y'all. Somebody tell me. We literally just sang it. What did God do? He gave his son. This is the move of the gospel. We have people with greed in our hearts. The move is you have to see that you and I worship a generous God. God is the most generous, the most giving, the most lavish entity and person you have ever imagined, and you will never stop imagining or even grasping how much God has given you. For God so loved the world that he gave you his only son. What does Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, where I can eat avocados. In the world I live in today, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We love because he first loved us. This is the great unstoppable message of Jesus Christ, that God loves you, that God has given his son for you, and Jesus Christ looks at you and says, I have given everything for you. It changes you. It makes you want to stop being greedy because you know that everything in this world is passing away. If you don't believe me, you should have seen the trailer that went to the dump yesterday from the yard sale. And guess what? Everything in that trailer was something that somebody thought somebody else would want. And they were wrong. <laughs> Do not love the things of this world. For everything in this world is not from the Father. And what are the things of the world? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, which is greed. That's why Jesus says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, it's great. If it's bad, it's wrong. Jesus, in, in, in Jewish thought, the eyes are the source of greed and envy. The desires of the eyes, it's all going away and the world is passing away. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And buddy, if your treasure is headed for hell, your heart is gonna be pulled like a magnet there. But if your treasure is with the Lord, your heart will be pulled like a magnet to heaven. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here's why you need the gospel. You, you, here's why you need Jesus Christ to do this. Because some of you are thinking, I don't need Jesus to be generous. Greed is bad. Everybody knows that. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or somewhere in the middle, you know greed is bad. Duh, everybody knows that. I can just give more. But what Jesus is going to have uh, <laughs> the teeth to tell you is that if we just give because we're good people, actually you've fallen for another trap of sin, which is pride. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. Jesus uses a specific word about giving to the needy. This is not a sermon about tithing, by the way. This is a sermon about giving to the needy, giving to the poor. Jesus says in verse 2, Thus when you give to whom? When you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they got their reward. What's he saying? 
If you don't give out of humility and of a recognition that God has given you so much, you're going to end up giving so that people think great things about you. You're going to fall for literally the oldest trick in the book, the sin of pride. But Jesus offers a new way of life. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't you love that? From greed through the gospel to generosity. How are you and I to become generous people? Well, we recognize that we are the children of a generous God, right? We love God. He is generous to us. How can we not be generous to those around us? You know, if you look down at Matthew 6, 2 through 4 again, notice uh, Jesus in verse 2 says, give to the needy. Again, in verse 3, he says, give to the needy. And then verse 4, guess what? It's the same word in Greek. So that you are giving, that is giving to the needy. Jesus is teaching us in Matthew chapter 6 that just like prayer is one of the things a Christian does, giving regularly to those in need is just one of the things a Christian does. Just like fasting is one of the things in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, that a Christian does. This is why we focus on prayer, fasting, and giving to the needy during Lent. It's to live out the Sermon on the Mount. So how do we give to the needy. Well, first off, I need to say thank you to everybody who gave to the Arch Hill. And believe me, we did not throw any of your things that you donated into the garbage. <laughs> Those are the other people. But thank you. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for serving. Thank you for giving. Uh, it's amazing. And it's beautiful to think that that $18,000 or whatever that we raised, all of that's going to send teenagers to build homes for poor families in Mexico. I mean, how beautiful is that? You know, uh, you know, this is like the beauty of virtue, the beauty of generosity. It makes other people want to be generous. You know, it, it multiplies, right? That's why when you're around a generous person, you find yourself wanting to be generous to others. You ever been in one of those lines at Starbucks where the guy in front of you bought your drink and then you got to buy the guy's drink behind you? How can you grow generous towards the needy? I'm going to give you a couple of points of advice you know, eat the meat, spit out the giant seed in the avocado. So take what's good, leave what's not. Number one, I would suggest to you, Christian, when you think about how to give to the needy, be open to the Holy Spirit. Be open to the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian and you are indwelled with the Spirit, you and the Spirit are like this. If you feel the nudge to give to somebody, follow the nudge. I'm not saying every inclination you and I have is from the Holy Spirit, but I can tell you this, every time I've listened to that voice saying, I think I should give to this person, or I think I should do this, I've never regretted it. I have regretted when I've silenced the voice. You know, we live in a dynamic world, if you're a Christian, that your spirit and the Holy Spirit are like this. Believe that. If you feel guided by the Spirit to give, give. And then don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know what that means? Don't pat yourself on the back because you did it. Maybe don't even tell your spouse. Second point, if you need something more practical, I'm thankful that this year the elders and I, we put a, a box in the back of our sanctuary right there in that corner called the deacon's box. And if you ever just want to give to the needy, everything that goes into that box goes to the deacons who then distribute it to those who are in need in our community. We want to we cultivate an idea of giving to the needy. 
Number three, uh, get creative, okay? Get creative. You know, it was amazing watching people at the yard sale this past week. It's like crazy how like people are like scouring this room and then they go to the barn and they're like looking for a deal. People can be creative if they have something that they want to find. You have resources. If you are a teenager or you are a kid, you have some kind of resource that you can give. And the Holy Spirit says it's up to you to choose who to give to the needy. Think about how creative you could be. If you don't know how you could spark that creativity, let me ask you a question. And maybe if you're a parent, you could talk to your kids about this. It's a great question. Or if you have a spouse, or if you have a neighbor or a parent, here's the question. If you had, if you had a million dollars, but you had to give it away, and you couldn't give it to your family, what would you do with the million dollars if, it, if you had to give it away? And you couldn't give it to, you know, the kids' college or the grandkids' college. You had to give it away. What would you do if you had a million dollars? Someone would bequeath you a million dollars. Just give it to any, any charity, any, any organization. What would you give it to? You know, somebody asked me that question about 10 years ago, and I love a good question. And I actually thought about it because I didn't have an answer. And then after a day or two, you know what I realized? I said, if I had a million dollars, I would give all of the money to Christian couples who want to adopt kids. Because adoption is a treasure that will not rot. It's a treasure in heaven. And I thought, I would give a million dollars to help people adopt kids. And then like two weeks later, one of my friends from college puts up on social media, guess what? He and his wife are adopting a kid and they need $30,000. And it was perfect because it was tax time, which means we got our tax return. And I told Caroline, I said, babe, I think we should give. We don't have a million dollars, but it was showing me where my heart was, was where I wanted to give. And so we helped them adopt their kid. And then I'm not even kidding. Last month, guess what? Our friends adopted that kid's sibling. And guess what they needed? Another $30,000. And they got every penny. And we were able to contribute to a second adoption. You don't actually need a million dollars. You just need a creative spark. What do you care about? Who are the poor and needy that you see? And here's the thing. You can give whatever you have. Friends, this is not just for adults. It's not just for the rich. This starts young. This can start as a child. It can start as a teenager. Just a few months ago, a youth group in College Station, Texas, go Aggies. A few months ago, they, the youth group wrapped up a four-month fundraising project. And they were raising funds. They raised $50,000 to eliminate medical debt for the poor in their community. They gave $50,000 to RIP medical debt which is a, a New York-based nonprofit that buys up debt pennies on the dollar. The youth group's goal is to eliminate $5 million worth of medical debt. In the news article, a 15-year-old girl is interviewed, and she's asked, why did you do this? Why are you bothering raising $50,000? Aren't you supposed to be, like, doing teenager things? Listen to her answer. You know, out of the mouth of babes and infants and teenagers. Listen up. Ariana said, as Christians, we believe it's important to be concerned about medical debt. When somebody asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus calls us to be good neighbors 
by helping each other however we can with whatever we have. Friends, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If nobody's told you this before, it's the gospel truth, friend. All you and I really have in life is our relationship with God and the lives of people we invest in. Jesus put it this way. The greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Everything else is going to pass away in this life. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Friends, we are saved from greed through the gospel to become generous children of God. Generosity is a virtue. It is a rhythm of life. It's a godly habit. It can start when you're young and it can start when you're old. But most of all, friends, it's a supernatural gift for those who follow Jesus. As we close, I invite you now to bow your heads. I'm going to give God the last word. If we can, you don't have to, but if you're comfortable, I think this helps focus as we listen to the word of God. This comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, 1 Timothy 6, Paul's warned that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Uh, people have wandered away from the faith by greed. But then in the same chapter, Paul says these words, and we'll finish. Christian, focus on every word. Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but to set their hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Father, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would scoop out the greed from our hearts through the gospel. And Lord, that we would become generous people, that we would see the poor and needy through your eyes. Lord, you say that whenever we give to the poor, we give as to you. Father, what grace. Lord, I pray for our children and our youth group. Lord, I pray for our adults. Lord, that we would be marked by generous spirits. Lord, that we would do good. We would be rich in good works. That we would be ready to share with those in need. And Lord, that we would be the light of Jesus Christ to our dark world. Lord, that we would be generous. Father, we think about those who are unable to worship with us and those who are going through difficulties in life. Lord, we commend to your grace and your care Cal Pipel, Randy and Jim Milhone, Phoebe Allstad, Sean McCoy, Harry Gilg, and Randy Templeton. Uh, Lord, walk with them through these days. Lord, give them strength and endurance. Lord, this week we pray for another church here in the Rogue Valley. Lord, thank you for planting us here. Lord, we bear good fruit as unto repentance. And Lord, we now pray and intercede on behalf 
of Set Free Fellowship. Lord, would you bless that church as they work on the front lines of caring for those in addictions and those who are needy. Lord, bless that congregation. Lord, would they have an abundance of grace. Lord, would they overflow with good works. Lord, we also lift up to you our mission of the month. Lord, we think of our Youth Mexico mission trip. Lord, we pray a blessing over every teenager that goes and all of our adults. Uh, Lord, would they be diligent as they work. And Lord, would they have a new heart for the people in Mexico and for those who live a very different life than we do here. Father, would you be glorified through our church. And Lord, bless more ministries in that mission trip. Lord, to all this we commend to you and ask that you would be with us as we go throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.